Beautiful. I'm uh, so glad to be able to share God's Word with you this morning, and I've really enjoyed this summer so far as we have been going through this series of Follow Me as I Follow Christ. We started off the series by looking at the life of Abraham. Dave Barton shared about that. The week after, Pastor Terry talked about the life of Jacob, and just last Sunday, Azar talked about Joseph, uh, jo- uh, Joshua. And uh, as he was talking, I, uh, he mentioned about veggie tales, and he mentioned about David being a little asparagus. And I found that kind of funny because for me, I didn't hear about veggie tales till in my 20s. So I already had an understanding of who he was. I never thought of him as an asparagus. And I thought, Lord, how did you shape my thought life of who David was when I was a young boy? And I looked in my uh, bookshelf in my library, and uh, this was my children's Bible. Big Bible, but it was just full of, oh, look at this. I honestly didn't plan this. I opened it up. There's the picture of Goliath. Big picture. And this whole Bible, I remember reading through this as a kid before bed. That's how I'd usually end my, my nights was read a story. My parents would let me read one or two stories and look at the pictures and just starting to think about the Bible is true of full stories. They're not myths. They're not tales. They're not things to just entertain you. They're history. This is what God has done in time. So I'd encourage you parents, invest in whatever you need to to help your children understand the stories of the Bible and the men and women who God used throughout time to make himself known. I remembered another thing that my parents bought for me. It was a little record that went along with a book. And uh, the book was uh, called David and Goliath. And uh, this was pretty high-tech. I had a little recorder that had a speaker in it, and when the record would end, it would, you know, stop on its own. It was pretty high-tech there. And I remember going to bed at night and listening to these stories of David and just being enthralled with who he was and how God would use such a little boy and that he would live a life of faithfulness to God. And so today, when I think about who I consider my friend David, he does not know me at all, but when I have spent so much time with him in the Word, I feel he, he's someone I, I treasure as a friend. And uh, the title I chose for today is A Life of Passionate Faith. And what I want to highlight right from the get-go is that passion in and of itself is not necessarily a healthy thing. It can take us down a wrong road pretty quickly. And Uh, This was one of the pictures in my Bible. It was David looking at Bathsheba and letting that passion take him down a wrong path. And it snowballed. It ended up in murder. It ended up lying to a nation. It ended up in dishonoring the name of God. So we need to be aware that just because you're passionate about something doesn't mean that you should act on that passion, you should pursue that passion. It doesn't mean it's healthy. All the passions we have, every thought we have, needs to be given to God for him to filter how we're meant to live out our life and how we're meant to act out on the desires and, and uh, impulses of our heart. And so that was a pretty obviously wrong passion that David had, but he also had a really, really good passion. He knew that God was living in or had a tabernacle. It was like a tent. And he said, why am I living in this big castle when we feel the presence of God is just in this little tent? I want to build him a temple. I want to build him a huge temple so that the people know how glorious he is, how majestic he is. And he made plans for that temple. The Lord put something on his heart about what the temple should look like, the materials that were needed. And he had every plan to build that temple. So he went to the prophet Nathan and he said, this is my plan. 
And the prophet Nathan looked at him and said, David, go do what's on your heart. The Lord is with you. And then the Bible tells us that Nathan went back to his place, and that evening God told him, I'm paraphrasing here, Nathan, you spoke too quickly. That isn't David's job. That's going to be the job for his son. David will have a dynasty. He's not going to build me a temple. And so all that to be said is, even when we have godly passions, things that we say, oh, this is how I want to honor the Lord, even those things need to be brought to God. They need to be brought to the counsel of others. And then we have to humbly give time to say, Lord, is this what you want? How am I supposed to live out this passion? So for David, the passion wasn't to build, it was to prepare. And for some of us, that sometimes God puts something on our heart and it's confusing because this must be what I need to do. But we always need to listen to God for his timing, for his pace. One of the reasons I think David was very passionate is he understood the depth of his sins. There's an episode in the New Testament where Jesus is eating dinner and a lady comes who was known in the city as a sinner. And she came and she started crying at his feet, wiping his feet with oil. And the man there who was a host, the Pharisee, said, if you knew who this woman was, you wouldn't let her do that. And Jesus said, she has been forgiven much. She loves much. That's why she's been, uh, she's been forgiven much. That's why she loves much. And uh, I think that really reflects a lot of why David was passionate. He was not a perfect person. You know, when we read scripture, we see all his flaws, so many of his flaws. But he was someone who realized the grace and mercy of God on his life. And that didn't cause him to be shamed it caused him to praise the Savior. And that's what's meant for each and every one of us. If you want to be on a journey of becoming more passionate with God, you need to let him show you who you are without him. And then you need to celebrate in who you are with him. Because he hasn't left you alone. He's giving you his Holy Spirit. He has life for you in him, abundant life. And not just you and him, us together. So I just want to give that as a as a background to a life of passionate faith. The passion in itself, it can be dangerous if it's not put in the right context. So one of the things we learn about a life of passionate faith is that it has no age restriction. The passage that we read today was the first that we hear of David, being a young boy, being called, he's a shepherd, and he's anointed to be king above all his other seven brothers. And uh, right after that episode, we are told that the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And Saul went into like this deep depression. And one of the solutions for that depression was to have people to come to play music. It lifted his spirit. The evil spirit seemed to leave. And so when he was looking for someone, one of his servants said, you know, I know of a boy who would be perfect to come and play for you. And this is what we read in 1 Samuel 16. One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite. He was skillful in playing. He's a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence. Now, we need to remember at this time, David was still a youth. He was in his teens. But he was well known already in the community. The last part we heard in the scripture reading is that the Spirit of the Lord rushed on David. It doesn't tell us much more about what that meant, except that obviously his walk with the Lord was obvious to other people. 
And he was, I don't know how old he was, maybe he was 14 or 15, and here it says, a man of valor. We need to remember that for Hebrews, when boys became 12, they became what was called sons of the law. That meant that they were now required to obey the law, and that when they turned 13, they had a bar mitzvah, which made them men. So even though he was a youth, in the eyes of the community, he was a man. And by how he lived in that young age, he had this good reputation. He was skillful in playing. He didn't just play. He, he was skillful. He worked at that. He was a man of valor in war. And so we don't know that he was in any war yet, but I think already by looking at his life and how he protected the sheep from lions and bears, people could see he's a person of courage when it comes to protecting others. Not just going out there and fighting, but when it comes to protecting God's people, he was out there. He was brave. He was courageous. He had good speech, wise speech. He thought things through before he spoke. And he was a man of good presence. And the key reason is this. The Lord is with him. That's so key for our walk with God. Is to remember that any good in us is because it's God's gift to us. Any real influence that has eternal impact is going to be because his spirit is working through us. Now, we have a much different privilege than David did. We have the continual presence of the Holy Spirit in us because of what Jesus did, dying, rising again, and sending his comforter to live in us. David, more than most in the Old Testament, says that the spirit was upon him all the time. But it's still different than what we experience today. So we need to remember that God has no, there's no age restriction in having a passion for God. So if you're a youth, a young adult, there's no like, I should wait till later. I have all my, no, like today's the day to be passionate about God. And if you're 60, 70, 80, today is the day to be passionate about God. Our walk with the Lord is meant to get deeper and, and more authentic and more life-giving the older we get. Even though our bodies may start failing, our hearts are just bursting to talk about the goodness of our God. So a passionate faith has no age restrictions. How are your passions today impacting your walk with God? Whatever age you are, how are your passions today impacting your walk with God? Because that impacts others. What you're passionate about, you talk about. You invest time and in, you invest money in. People notice that. Would people say, the Lord is with Doug? The Lord is with Emma? Would they say that when they see the way we live our lives? So remember... A passionate walk with God has no age restriction, and it's also based on a kingdom perspective. Now, I could share many different stories with you from the life of David that showed that he was thinking about the kingdom of God. The Bible actually in some places says he's the prince of God, because God is always the king. You want to know what the best government is? It's not democracy. The best government is a kingdom where God is king, <laughs> where we all serve him as he deserves to be served because he's completely good. He's not selfish. He does everything for the blessing of others. That's the perfect government. That's the government that we will live under for eternity is God as king. There's two stories, though, that I'd like to share with you about that show that David had a very uh, keen awareness that he was there to advance the kingdom of God and not his own. 
And the first one uh, had to deal, you find this in 1 Samuel 24. Uh, Saul, again, had the Holy Spirit depart from him. He was often plagued by evil spirits. He was often really, really jealous of David. And he tried to kill him a number of times. Scripture more than once says he threw a spear at David while they're eating, trying to kill him. And uh, so this one time, David is gone. He's got about 400 men that are with him, people that were desperate, people in debt, people in despair. That's what the Bible talks about. And Saul is chasing him with 3,000 men. And at one point, the Bible tells us that David was with a few of his men in a cave, resting. And as he, they're resting, Saul comes by. They see this group of people come by, and Saul needs to relieve himself. So he goes into the cave, and he starts to relieve himself. And the men in the back say, David, this is God's provision for you. This is how you can become king. Kill him now. Everybody will understand. Go do that. And David quietly goes to where Saul is, and he cuts off the edge of his robe. And as soon as he does that, he, he goes back to his men, but it's, the Bible says his heart struck him, convicted him. I shouldn't have done that. And then we read these words, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, even cutting off his robe, for he is the anointed of the Lord. Even though he's trying to kill me, even though he's doing wicked things, God has still put him there. It's not my decision when he's done. That's God's decision. He will die in battle. God will put his finger on him, whatever it is, but it's not my place to do that. I think that's utterly amazing. Because think, from the time that David was a shepherd, a boy, he was anointed by Samuel saying, you will be king. He knows that's what's going to happen. I, I would have been easily confused or, or convinced that the people are right. This is God's hand. I should kill him now. But David was patiently persistent, saying, it's God's timing. That's not my decision to make when Saul dies. From a shepherd, he became Saul's servant. From a servant, he became Saul's soldier. He eventually became Saul's son. And then he always knew that he was going to be the successor. It would be so easy to have done the wrong thing out of passion, out of a good passion. But he knew, no, God is God. This is not my place. That's his anointed. So you know what? He goes out and he tells Saul, Saul, look, I didn't kill you. Why don't you trust me? Saul repents, and they go back to having life together. Two chapters later, we hear a similar story. He's on the run. 3,000 people are chasing him. At night, uh, David and one of his men, Abishai, they see everybody is sleeping. And Saul's sleeping on the ground, and there's a spear just in the ground by his head. And his men go, again, this is God's sign to you. Go kill him. Take that spear and just thrust it through him. Kill him, and then you can become king. You deserve to be king. You've been anointed king. And again, David goes, and he, he, he takes the spear, and he goes away, and he goes, Saul, heaven forbid, I would never do anything against you. You are God's anointed. God is going to be the judge between you and me. I hope each of us have that kind of trust in God's timing and providence that when we are sinned against and evil is done towards us, that God says, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Do good, overcome evil with good. David's a wonderful example of that for us. Another thing we learn about passionate faith is that it's meant to be a life of adventure. It involves reasonable risk. 
I think those two things go together. From a boy, again, as a young teenager, he's going and he's protecting the sheep. And the scripture tells us, Davis from his own mouth says, yeah, when a bear or a lion would come to eat the sheep, I would go there and I would grab it by its beard and I would strike it dead. How many parents here would let your kids have that type of a job? Right? Most of you kind of feel nervous letting them drive anywhere. <laughs> and so here, David is showing, yeah, but he says, it was God that defended me. He doesn't think, yeah, I'm that much of a man. I'm that much of a warrior. He goes, no, he, he protected the sheep because that's what a shepherd does. And God was preparing his heart at a very young age to say, I'm just giving you a little bit of sheep right now, but I'm giving you all my kingdom. You're responsible to protect all my people. And that type of spirit that David had for caring for the sheep is what he had for all the people in his kingdom because they were God's people. And he didn't do it because he thought he was big enough or strong enough. He did it because God called him to do it. And if God calls, he will enable. Heaven forbid that I shrink back from when God puts something on my mind to do that's good. And I said, but who am I to do that? It has nothing to do with who I am. It has everything to do with who God is and what God has called me to do with his enablement. David was a good example of that. I remember hearing over and over again the story of David and Goliath and, you know, getting caught up in Goliath as this nine-foot, nine-inch-tall guy and all the armor he had. And there's many of the aspects of that story that enthralled me when you think about little David being so brave, saying, who is this man to defy the armies of the living God? Day after day, this Philistine was coming and saying, send out a man and fight me, and if he wins, we come to you, and if we die, we take you over. And every day, the people would just run away, and then they'd come back, and they'd be like, yeah, yeah, today's the day, and then Goliath would talk, and they'd all be scared, and they'd go away, and David just sees this as, again, a young man. He says, who is this person to do that? Does he not know that our God is alive and well? He will defend his people? Why are we shrinking? Again, it wasn't about him. It wasn't about his ability. It's who he belonged to and who was being disrespected. And what I remember is that it said after he put on the armor of Saul and it was too heavy and he said, I haven't been tested in this, he goes and he puts on his normal clothes, his bag with his sling, and the Bible says he took five stones in his pouch. And I don't know why that impacted me so much, because I knew it just took one stone. I, I knew the story, right? It took one stone, bang, down. Takes the sword off, cuts off his head. They don't usually tell that part in the children's story, but that's what the Bible says. He goes, he kills him, he cuts off his head, and he shows the king. And I'm like, why would he take five stones? Because although David knew that God would be victorious, he didn't know exactly what that would look like. He knew how God had used him in the past to protect the sheep. He knew what his skill set was with the sling, but he took five stones. Can you imagine that? In his mind, he's like, I don't know how long this is going to take. I don't know how scared, like, like, but it might take four. He didn't know. The point is, he trusted God. He prepared as best he could based on the way he had been used by God in the past. We need to learn similar things from that. I love Proverbs. It's my favorite book of the Bible. I maybe shouldn't have favorites, but it's my favorite. 
And these are all words from David's son, Solomon, and they're words of wisdom. One of the Proverbs sounds like a kick. Uh, I have to be careful what I say. It sounds like you're going to get kicked when you're down. It says, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. So if you fall down, you're given a big task, and you don't follow through, boom, you're, you're, your strength is small. That really sounds like a put-down. But it's really a reality check to say that when adversity comes, and if I fall, if I fail, it's only because I've taken my hope, my trust, my dependence off of God. Because I've been relying on my own strength and not God's strength. And it's very easy as Christians to do that. We know the moral things to do. We believe God might call us to to do this thing, and we go out. But we don't do it with his presence. We don't do it with his power. We're not filled with the Holy Spirit. doesn't mean the Holy Spirit's left us, but we're not living in that abundant life. And it doesn't mean that the outcome, get this, when I say fail, I don't mean the outcome is what you want. But when you are following God and you step out in faith, to live for him, no matter what happens next, it's success in the sight of God. And I say that because throughout Scripture, we know that people's lives didn't end well. Stephen got stoned. All the disciples got killed. People were sawed, uh, uh, sawn in two. They were burned at the stake. You can't tell by the outcome to say, oh yeah, yeah God's vic-. God is always victorious. God is never defeated. We can be when we take our eyes off him. So in another situation, uh, David wants to bring the ark back to the city of David. It's been away from there for a while. And again, at this period of time, the ark represented the presence and power of God. And so he does everything kind of in, in a good way. He, he gets it ready to come to the, to the uh, city of David. Uh, and as it's moving along, the ark kind of falters a little bit, and someone goes like this, Uzziah comes to touch it, and he dies instantly. And David is completely fearful. What just happened here? And he gets angry with God. And God shows him, you know, you were doing a, a good thing in your mind, but you didn't even talk with me about it. I have rules about how I do things. This is how the ark is supposed to be transported. You just did it the way you thought would be best. And so David was really humbled. Again, similar thought as with the temple. He, he wanted to do something to honor God, but he didn't talk with God about it. It'd be like us making plans and then just saying, Lord, please bless my plans. Assuming that's what God wants for you just because you want it. Because I want it. And then the Bible says he kind of learned his lesson. He brought the, the ark to the city of David in a proper way. And the Bible tells us that as he was doing that, he was so exuberant in his love for God that the ark would be back, that he was just kind of wearing, it's called the priestly garment. It's just like, almost like undergarments. And he was dancing in front of the people, in front of the ark as it was coming and celebrating, rejoicing in the Lord. And his wife, his wife Michael said, you, you know, you're making a fool of yourself. You shouldn't do that. And David says, heaven forbid, I will do much more a disgrace to myself to honor God. I will look like a fool in the eyes of people to worship God. Reasonable risk. Reasonable risk is when God puts something on your heart and maybe you've confirmed it with others to get wisdom and you do it to the glory of God. That's a reasonable risk. 
What's not a reasonable risk is to say, God, I'm too scared to do that. I'm going to stay home and watch Netflix today. It's much easier to do that than to approach my neighbor who I think I could offer help to. This is a question I have for you. In your life, there is something that God has for you to do that will be his presence to those around you. And you might think, oh, what could that be? I don't know what that could be. It could be making cookies for your neighbor. It could be going and raking the lawn. I don't know what it is. It doesn't have to be like, whoa, big thing. It just needs to be us being faithful to the goodness that God calls us to do. God says, love others as you love yourself. Start there. Look at the people around you who aren't loved and think about ways, pray about ways that God might use you to be a healthy, God-loving presence for them and then take that risk. But I think, I hope all of you have that, those experiences sometimes where God just impresses something on you. You know it's not just you thinking it. It's, it's like, no, God wants me to do this. You need to take that risk to have a vibrant walk with God. You'll be blessed beyond what you can believe by being obedient when God calls you. The other thing that happens in a life of passionate faith is it deepens our friendships. It creates healthy friendships. The one that we're most aware of with David, he had many good friends. There was these men who would give their lives for him. Uh, But one of his best friends was Jonathan. The soul of Jonathan was knit to the son of Saul, to the soul of David and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. So what we need to remember here is Jonathan was King Saul's son. He was the person who was really prince and he was meant to become king. That's the way it should have happened. The Bible tells us that when Jonathan heard David after he defeated Goliath and he, and he, and he just said, you know, who would ever defy God? That's where it says that, that Saul or Jonathan just He loved David. And he went to David and he said, you know what, this robe, this royal robe, this is yours. My sword, it's yours. Like That role of being a prince, of being the future king, that's not mine. I can see that God has that role for you. Man, what a humble thing to say. Because he has every right to be king. He had every right to be jealous. This guy's going to take my throne. But he wasn't. And I love this phrase, then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. He made a covenant. He made a promise for the good of each other. Let's make a relational agreement that we will be a blessing to one another in the grace of God. This idea of covenant friendship. Just in the book of Samuel, I want to highlight a few ways that covenant friendship is valuable. First of all, it's based on being inwardly drawn to the friend's character. You see Christ in someone's life. You're drawn to them because of that. You want to be more like them because you see Christ in them. And you call that out of them. You thank them and and, and say, let them know, I see Christ in you in these ways. Inwardly drawn to a friend's character. You love your friend as you love yourself. God is between you as friends and family. He's not just out there. He's not just church on Sundays in a life group on Wednesdays, whatever. It's like, no, like God is, we recognize that he's the basis of our unity, of our friendship. And you, and you delve into that. You encourage each other in your faith in the Lord. You share God's gifts with each other. 
and you share a deep love for one another. These are all things that I at least see uh, in the life of David and especially with Jonathan. You know, in 2 Samuel 1.26, there's a verse when Jonathan has died. David kind of shares his grief, and he says, Oh, Jonathan, your love was extraordinary. Your love was greater than that of a woman. You know, when you go online and you look for that, heaven forbid, but you see that verse sexualized. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with a friend who said, yeah, like, imagine what he gave up. He said, David, you are king. I'm going to give you the the robe. I'm going to give you everything. I'm going to support you. He gave David his life, his friendship. That's what it's about. And covenant friendships do that for one another. We serve one another because that's the way God, God cares for us. He gave himself for us so that we might have life in him. That's how we're supposed to treat our friends and provide for each other's needs. The last thing I want to highlight today as far as a life of passion and faith and what we learn is that it inspires heartfelt worship. When you meet someone who is passionate about God, and I don't mean passionate about singing. I don't mean passionate about coming to a service. I mean passionate about God. Their life makes you want to worship God more. You desire to become more like Jesus because you see that's what's happening in their life and you know that it's possible because you know your friend's not perfect. But you know that God is and he, and he completes his promises. You see change in your friend. This is why long friendship is valuable because you see someone transforming your friend from who they were young in Christ to mature in Christ. That's evidence that God is who he says he is, that he keeps his promises. If he keeps it for my friend, he keeps it for me too. Psalms has 150 psalms in there. About half of them are written or attributed to King David. They're beautiful. I make it a habit every day to read a psalm. This is Psalm 138, verse 1. I give you thanks, O Lord, with all my heart I will sing your praises. Beautiful psalm. Uh, The next one, I'd like to read it to you. I'd ask you to go home today and read Psalm 139. Just quietly, reflectively read that psalm. And if your heart doesn't praise the Lord, then ask the Lord why. Because it's such a beautiful psalm. So one of the things I just want to ask you today is how, this is what I ask myself, how am I inspired to worship God? In what way do you uniquely enjoy worshiping your Savior, loving Him? Do you wake up in the morning and saying, Lord, how can I love you today? So much of our faith is centered on us. I think I find it great joy to say, Lord, how do you desire for me to love you today? And however you do it, God will be pleased. He just wants you to enjoy loving Him. So I'm going to take a little bit of a risk here today. I was on a road trip three weeks ago, and on the road trip, in the morning I was just driving, I often have the radio off, and I said, Lord, I just ask you to put a song on my heart. I want a new song to sing for you. I don't play any instruments, I sing a little bit, and I said, Lord, I just want this morning for you. And so, over two mornings, the Lord put a song on my heart, and I'm going to sing it for you today. It's nothing special. It's special to me. I shouldn't say it that way. It's hugely special. I've been singing it every single day since he put it on my heart. So I'm going to sing it for you. There is a chorus, and at one point I'll put the chorus on, and if you guys would sing it with me, that would make me feel less, you know, shy. 
but the song uh, the Lord put on my heart, and it was such a joy to see. I was just driving and singing into my phone. That's the picture. And it's called, What a Good Day. Oh, our world is in need of a Savior. They're looking for hope in places it can't be found. Father, use our lives to extend your favor to help them see your goodness all around. And what a good day to praise the Lord together. What a good day to magnify his name. And what a good day to live within his presence and to share what we've been given along life's way. What they need is some truth and compassion, a loving friend who walks with them in peace. Holy Spirit, guide us to walk within your wisdom, to show them who you are through what we do. And what a good day to praise the Lord together. What a good day to magnify his name. And what a good day to live within his presence and to share what we've been given along life's way. We believe that this world has one creator, that he made us all in the image of his Son. And his desire is to fill us with his Spirit so that we might all be one in him. What a good day to praise the Lord together. What a good day to magnify his name and what a good day to live within his presence and to share what we've been given along life's way so what will we do with these lives we've been given that's a choice we need to make every day jesus help us choose you in every situation to show you are the truth the life the way and what a good day to praise the Lord together. What a good day to magnify his name. And what a good day to live within his presence and to share what we've been given along life's way. What a good day to praise the Lord together. What a good day to magnify his name and what a good day to live within his presence and to share what we've been given along life's way what a good day amen i just want to encourage each one of you that god desires to bless you with intimacy with him that is hard to fathom. He wants a song in your heart that will be expressed in different ways and it will come out in the way that you live with others. It will change how you view yourself. It will deepen your dependence on God. With that, please stand and we're going to close in prayer together. Father, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you that throughout Scripture, throughout the Older and the Newer Testaments, you use your men and women to show who you are, to give us a, a glimpse of your character, of your power, of your pleasure, of your mercy, of your goodness. Lord, everything that is good, you have shown it through the existence of men and women who have chosen to follow you. 
to accept the offer of having life in you. Lord, in our church family, we are learning more and more what it means to have abundant life in you, and that's by your grace. Father, whatever distracts us from you, whatever causes us to be unfaithful, Lord, we want you to shape our desires. And Lord, I know that for each one of us, there are things that we hold on to that hinder your Holy Spirit moving in us, finding joy in us, pleasure in us. Lord, in your grace, would you help us to surrender to you more fully, more joyfully, more expectantly, that in surrendering to you, the greatest good will happen. We love you, Father, not nearly as much as you deserve to be loved. But Lord, over these coming days, would you help us to experience you more fully? And whatever you give us, Lord, help us to cheerfully give to others without lack. We ask this again, Lord, for your sake and our good. Amen. Have a good day, my friends.